Coming up today on Eagle Eyes on Tech, a major ransomware group has been taken down by the Russians. We're going to get some more details on that. Google is begging the federal government to contribute to open source software by the means of just paying them money. NVIDIA thinks the chip shortage will be over later this year. We'll talk about how much of a joke that is. And the NFT craze gets even dumber and crazier. All that and more coming today on Eagle Eyes on Tech. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, you're I'm gonna read this Eagle Eyes on Tech. I am Eagle Falcon. I, I don't know what else to say about the NFT community. I just want to open off with open up with that. I have some fascinating NFT stories to talk about. And it's just once again just kind of cements the whole what kind of scam are you just hopping on board? The phenomenon is is absolutely fascinating. We'll get into more detail on that. First, though, we're going to open up with uh, Honda clocks. Inside Honda cars have uh, upon on the turn of the uh, on the year decided to revert back to 2002 instead of 2022. Now, granted, this didn't result in any sort of Y2K fearmonger sort of uh, sort of results. It's just baffling. And I am really curious. Unfortunately, I am not qualified to answer this question, but I'm really curious to get the answer. Why is 2022 such a bizarre year for computers to handle? I'm getting to the point where I'm actually not really curious as to why. Why is this the one that just wrecks everything? Someone in chat asked, does that mean, mean this is now called the Y2K22 bug? A lot of tech outlets have talked about, uh, have kind of jokingly called about that. Zonas Jet says there's only ones and zeros, there's no twos. The thing is that it handled 2020 just fine. Heck, computers handled 2020 so much better than the rest of humanity. 2020 was the... Computers were the only thing that handled 2020 well. There's just something about 2022 that's just like... Why? Someone has the working theory that um, it involves the maximum integers. 
I can't remember the exact language that, that this is, but basically like, depending on the computer system, it has a hard time handling numbers bigger than 2,147,000, I'm sorry, 2,147,000,000. 483,647. And then, of course, the date is just stored as one really long number, which then breaks it. It's possible. I don't know. It's just really weird that this is the year that bungles up so many oddball computers. And granted, unlike the fears of Y2K, which the fact that there there's a chunk of my audience that doesn't even remember the fears of Y2K really, really, really does make me feel like an ancient old man, which I'm not yet, dang it. I'm not old, I swear. I just feel it. Y2K, the fears were just like, it's going to be the end of the world. Nuclear missiles are going to launch on their own. Streetlights are just going to flash random signs. It's it's the end of everything as the computers get confused. And in the end, nothing happened outside of like a handful of vending machines didn't uh, function correctly. Some airport signs said it was, uh, said it was, you know, the year 1900, but it had no adverse effects other than that. Like Y2K was not that big a deal. It could have been, and there was a lot of bug fixes that could have prevented potential disasters. But nothing came of it. It's the same thing here with 2022. No true harm is coming to coming of this as of yet. Someone in chat actually nailed nailed what the thing is. That it's a 32-bit number. That that's what the maximum integer is with a 32-bit number. It could be. It is definitely possible. They they go on to explain that um, the way the year is stored is that the first two digits are the year, then the next two digits month, then the next two day, the next two hours, the next two minutes, and the next two seconds. Oh, wait, no seconds? Let me actually do the math here. Yeah, no seconds would be correct. And that's how it stores the time. So the year 2022 wraps around. They then correct themselves and say it's the 31-bit number. It's a very good theory, and so far the best one I've heard... That being said, I cannot confirm or deny any of this. And then I just get pinged for an iFunny video in Discord. 
Meanwhile, you remember a while back about the massive uh, cyber cyber attack, the ransomware attack that was on the JBS meat pl- packing plant. That was done by a group called Revil. All right. Well, we have an update on them. And it's first off, the fact that, well, actually, no, this is also old news. Revil was responsible for both the JPL meatpacking plant. They're also responsible for the $70 million ransomware attack against Kasia. K-A-S-E-Y-A, which was a supply chain company. Well, we got him. Revil has been gotten. They have been caught. But who caught them? Apparently Russia. Russia has apparently caught the Revil ransomware group. They have been out for three years and suddenly Russia got them. You know, I'm not going to lie. You know what I would have expected out of Russia? Someone in the chat beat me to it. (laughs) That they've been caught or also referred to as employed. That's what I would have expected. And you know what? In all fairness, that is still quite possibly what is going to end up happening. That the our evil or uh, the the revil ransomware group is just instead going to be making... Ransomware attacks in the employ of of Russia. By the way, in a related story, um, the state of Ukraine has been hit by a massive cyber attack. Hmm. And, suspe- and Russian hackers were suspected of being responsible for it. Hmm. Hmm. Actually, let's see if the dates match up here. Uh, Ukraine getting hit by a massive cyber attack was on Friday the 14th. Russia taking down the ransomware attack was also on the 14th. Not out of the realm of possibility. Actually, we want to get down to the hour. The Ukraine mass, the, the Ukraine cyber attack happened three hours 
after the article saying that, or I'm sorry, two, wait. Yeah, no, three hours after Russia said they neutralized the Revil ransomware gang. I'm, I'm just saying. I'm not saying it's Russians. <laughs> Me and the guy in chat are on the same wavelength that Russia put it out to, to that they have plausible deniability. Would you be surprised? <laughs> it would not have surprised me at all if Russia actually went and captured this Revil group like weeks ago and just sat in the story and said, totally not us. Totally not us. And before anyone goes like it couldn't be Russia, what is Russia? Ha Why would Russia go and hack Ukraine? Look, this this isn't a state of of the political world right now. But holy cow, has tensions between Russia and Ukraine been uh on a scale of 1 to 10, they've been a pretty big yikes to say the least. And we're not going to go into details as to why because let's be honest, I I don't know. But it it ain't pretty. You know what else isn't pretty? Log4j. Remember Log4j? The Log4j issue is still a big vulnerability within the open source community. And unfortunately, Log4j is a system that is used by lots upon lots of various, various outlets on the web, including major players. And unfortunately, it's still a vulnerability that has not been plugged. And so it is now becoming a national security issue. Now, you want a prime example as to why I hate politics? You want a prime example of why I hate politics? This is why, because immediately after the Log4j issue was considered a national security threat, Google immediately, immediately called in and said, the government needs to provide action to protect open source software projects, and they should totally do that by paying experts like Google large sums of money so that they can invest in helping these open source software projects. You just want free money. L let's be perfectly honest, Google. The only reason Google was the first to go out and say this and just 
immediately, immediately got out there with their lobbyists into the world <laughs> to just dive bomb on this. And unfortunately, this kind of just blind greed under the name of protecting for the betterment is at the core of a lot of politics. Someone in chat says that that's less like hating politics and more like hating corporations. I would say it's more about hating politics than corporations, but it's the corporations playing politics. Like the corporation in this case, Google is just playing the game. The game being politics, which I hate. Does that make sense? You know what the worst part is? The absolute worst part about this all? I'm willing to bet Google's going to get the money. And I'm willing to bet their contribution to the open source project is going to be minimal. Because that's how this game is played. And it continues the cycle of nothing being done. And more asking for money to help solve a problem, not solving the problem, and then saying it's bigger than we thought, and thus perpetuating the whole thing. It's like working with a subcontractor. Except it goes on for so much longer. So what's going to end up happening out of this? I'm willing to bet log4j is going to be fixed. And it's going to be fixed relatively quickly. And it's not going to be fixed by Google. And it's not going to be fixed by Facebook. And it's not going to be fixed by who else was all on board for this kind of thing. Unfortunately, the article I have is only about Google calling it. But I know a few others were trying to get on board to say, oh, yeah, no, we'll, we'll take... We'll, we'll, we'll take Grant to go help open source... You want to know who's more likely to actually fix the problem? I'm willing to bet that it's going to end up being a small outlet, like, say, the Linus Media Group's float plane. Because float plane has said they use log4j and they've had to implement their own fix based on their own system before before the open source community came with a fix that made things worse. <laughs> Someone in the chat said, just go ahead. Get... <laughs> the, I, I'm trying to figure out how to say this 
but still keep everything anonymous. There was a moderator that I worked with during the whole, uh, the, the whole Twitch hate raids things. And by work with, I mean, I was in talks with him and was just an absolute awe of the kind of, uh, information he was able to gather behind the scenes. <laughs> the person in the chat's just like, go get that guy. He'll have it fixed in an hour or two tops. Maybe! <laughs> I mean, a bunch of clowns over over at Linus Media Group managed to fix their, their issue with Log4j. Why not? Says the guy who barely knows any coding language whatsoever. Actually, I take that back. I do know C++ quite a bit. Just not enough to, like, be competent. Uh, but you know what, though? If we're going to go ahead and flirt with a line whether hating on what Google is doing is hating on politics or hating on companies, how about we just go straight into hating on a company? Let's go hate on Razor. Because this is a fun one. <laughs> so, Razor went and put out a mask, all right? And I thought this mask, which I now can't remember what the project name was, but it's called the Zephyr, all right? And it was marketed as a mask using N95 grade filters. But of course, everyone assumed that it's just an N N95 grade mask. But right off the bat, and I'm fairly certain I said this on the podcast, but I can't remember if I did or not. I felt that the use of the term N95 grade filters was really, really weird because no one else markets their actual N95 mask having N95 grade filters. Well, it actually gets even better because as it turns out after some investigation, no part of the mask, literally any part was filed for N95 compliance. You see, and granted, this is all new to me as well because spoiler alert, I'm not an epidemiologist or any kind of ologist at all except maybe a technologist just because there's no classification for that but I digress to be an N95 grade mask it needs to fall within certain parameters including being able to block out 95% of air particulates which is why the number 95 is in there. But they said it's N95 grade filters. So was that even filed in for, for classification? Well, here's the thing. In order for the filters, in order for the mask at all to get any kind of 
recommendation, the entire thing must be graded. Because what matters is the seal around the face, which, of course, was one of the things that always kind of made me chuckle about, you know, the basic masks. Because at our place of work, because we deal with potentially toxic chemicals, but we handle them within a sealed environment, we do have actual N95 grade respirators on site in case of emergencies. And they have to be perfectly fit. Like it is an airtight seal around your face. Fortunately, we've never actually needed to use them. Although the first day that one of our locations demanded we had masks on site but didn't provide them, uh, we did send our driver in with an N95, with with our N95 respirator, which um, he, he got a good chuckle when security looked at him. And he's just like, what? You said we had to bring masks. We couldn't find any other masks other than this one. But I digress. Someone in chat says, guess your place of work ban- bans beards then? No. Our place of work does does not actually. But, you know, in case of a... The thing is that the hazardous chemicals, chemicals we would work with that would require that in case of a spill, we've basically all phased out. Because better alternatives have come around. But we still have the equipment in case something does happen. And we are required to have that equipment around if something does happen. But it's almost all gone now. (laughs) But anyway, I'm getting off topic. So to say that it's only the filters are N85 grade, it's not taking into account the fit of the mask. It's not taking into account the ventilator ports where the air is expelled out of the mask and then seals back up when you inhale. Like that has to be perfect because otherwise you're just inhaling in contaminated air. Which, you know, in the case of in the case of being exposed exposed to COVID-19, that's less than optimal. But in the case of, you know, the actual intended use for an N95 mask, which is, you know, fumigating a room with poison, that is very necessary. Not that it matters because the filters, the mask, the fit, the ventilator ports, everything about the Zephyr was not <laughs> was not judged for anything no part of this mask was tested for anything so a ton of people went ahead got this mask assumed it's an N95 mask and spoiler alert it's not when this thing first finally came out, naive me thought that, oh, hey, we're on the tail end of the, of the pandemic. There's going to be no need for this at all. Of, of course, now the situation is 
up in the air and it's leaning more towards you should have a really good mask if you can or you can just be me and just li- live in indoors the whole time and just say oh screw this i'm too tired to do anything i think that's less about about being afraid of covid and just being more afraid of life except you know i work double shifts all week uh the point is is that the zephyr mass this whole attempt of razor trying to go ahead and say we are going to be part of the solution is wrong because now this is a problem you have people who believe they have a piece of respiratory protection and it's not not only does it not meet the N95 requirement but even if the filter is at that grade everything around the mask doesn't fit properly nothing else about the mask will protect you so even if you upgrade the mask to N95 grade or the filters to N95 grade it's no different than having a cloth mask that's just really, really filtered. Because you can breathe in unfiltered air from the sides, from the top, and from the bottom. Especially from the top, where your exhale goes and fogs up your sunglasses every single time, and it drives me absolutely nuts. Someone in the chat says Razor definitely going to go about this the wrong way, but making something like this to replace disposal masks and is reusable is still better than the cloth masks. You know, I would be on that same boat if it weren't for the fact the filters themselves are still still have to be disposed of and still have to be disposed of every three days. If their original concept actually worked and you could just go ahead and store it in the UV carrying case that cleanses the whole thing and you have no problems and only have to replace the filters, you know, once a month, like they originally talked about, I would say, you know what? At least it's got that going. They even messed that up because the Zephyr still uses disposable filters. The only box, the only box that the Zephyr checks is this thing is going to be super, super sweet for raves when we're allowed to go to raves again. Maybe when Razor takes the Zephyr 2, they will uh, learn from this mistake. 
part of me though do, does kind of wonder if they will or not or if anyone will is anyone else even trying to do anything like this or no Like, I think every other company, for the most part, is just, like, scared to go into the health field. Like, they're just scared of that obligation, which... Part of me can't blame them. Because, I mean, let's be honest. I thought this was the dumbest thing ever, and I thought of all the people to get into personal protection equipment... Razor would have been the last pers uh, person to get into it. Although, granted, most of my criticism of Razor was um, when they released it, it's just like, this is vaporware. It's never going to launch. And I'll at least give Razor credit. They did launch the product. It did eventually launch. Someone else in chat says the, main, the the problem mainly is that everyone has different faces. I have yet to find a mask that fits my face and doesn't fog up my glasses. Because otherwise I got two choices. Not wear a mask or walk ar around like a blind fool trying to find everything. So the one, I have an N95 that admittedly doesn't fit me perfectly, but is a good, but is a good solution for those who have glasses. Because I can actually go around, I can breathe fairly easily in it. It doesn't fog my sunglasses. Which, admittedly, my sunglasses also fit way differently than most people's glasses. And it's a decent solution. But at the same time, mine was like a cheap $15 one from way, way back. The filter is not, you know, it's not optimal and it's probably not N95 real protection. Like, as much as I hate to say it, I think with how easily the current variant spreads, and again, not an, ep uh, an epidemiologist, but with how much the current variant and how easily it spreads, I just think it's inevitable. Eventually, I'm going to get that variant. It's quite possible I already got it when I had the, those uh, that little bit of a runny nose last week. And just somehow I got a false negative. That's definitely a possibility. In the end, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know if anyone's going to have the answer. I got a feeling that by the time we have an answer for how to ha handle this current Omicron variant, it's going to come and gone with how quickly it's spreading like wildfire. Oh, well, we can just wait and see. Yeah, you know what I can't wait for, though? I can't wait for the $600 Apple mask.
There's going to be a $600 Apple mask. It's going to make you look like Optimus Prime, except like pearly white. And will provide basically no other features. And it will still scratch at a level six with deeper grooves at a level seven. <laughs> Made of aluminum and glass. <laughs> and probably not provide enough, enough enough protection. No, the Apple mask will not have a monthly subscription. What would have a monthly subscription though? The Tesla mask though. That will have a monthly subscription. And that will make you look at Optimus Prime but have a red T on the front. We 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 need to stop and take a break here before the before this idiocy continues. When we come back, I have much, much more crazy, crazy news in regards to more of the chip shortage. <laughs> Welcome back, Eagle Eyes on Tech. I'm Eagle Falcon. Did you know that Samsung was supposed to announce their brand new high-end Exynos 2200 CPU featuring AMD RDNA 2 architecture, which this actually would have been a f- amazing, an amazing mobile processor for mobile for for phones for actually a lot of applications. You're going ahead and developing an AP or a a new ARM-based CPU with a dedicated discrete GPU with an architecture that actually is doing extremely well. This could have been an amazing chip. Unfortunately, um, we saw none of it. Not a, not one little bit of this GP, of this CPU. The chip was supposed to be shown at a, at a January 11th press conference that uh, Samsung just kind of deleted the tweet for and just kind of Zoidberg shuffled out of the room. The working theory at this point is that more details of this chip are instead going to be shown off at Samsung's new S2022, or I'm sorry, their S22 keynote presentation. I mean, keep in mind, it's the it's January. We should be seeing a brand new Samsung Galaxy S series, which... I'm not going to lie. I'm dreading the launch of this S22. And it's not because I'm in the market for a new phone. I am perfectly happy with my current phone. Although a couple of the software things just kind of irk me. The fact that also my current phone is also a Samsung and... 
I'm seeing a lot of Apple DNA leak into modern Samsung design also irks me. But you know what really is going to make me dread the S22? Samsung has become a lot like Apple in the mobile space. First off, they just axe features of the phone for the sole purpose of selling more expensive accessories. The headphone jack's gone, but don't worry. We have these 15, we have these $150 earbuds that are wireless. So now you don't need your Admittedly, they're actually really decent earbuds that used to ship with the Samsungs. But those are gone. Your built-in, your your free earbuds are just gone. Your fast charger, gone. Oh, here's a fun one for you. I have, my actual phone is a Galaxy S21 Ultra. All right. It is the top tier Samsung phone that wasn't a folding phone last year. I want you to guess what its charging rate is from my battery bank that can deliver up to 60 watts. It has a power delivery system of up to 60 watts. Guess what the highest fast charging this S21 accepts. Because this is a big selling point on a lot of Android phones. We have such amazing fast chargers. Oh, man, it's insane. We got 30-watt fast charging, 60-watt fast charging, 45-watt fast charging. Xiaomi tries to boast 120-watt fast charging, which just seems like a house fire waiting to happen. 35 watts, one person says 25 watts. 15 watt fast charging. That's it. For all the boasting a lot of Android fans do about how Wow, Apple only has a 15-watt fast charging capability. Android's so much further ahead. We're not. We really aren't. I'm actually going to show it up right here. Let's see if that actually even shows on the camera. That's all strong. Right now, 14 watts. Just a reminder before we st- before we try to hate on Apple for oh well they only can do this our phones can do this does it though does it 
but even with all that, even with only 14 watt fast charging, which honestly is perfectly fine for me, but also, I mean, you saw the size of the battery I have here. It's a freaking how big is this? A 26,000 milliwatt uh, portable battery bank. Like, I can charge that phone in my pocket and have it... I can charge that phone in my pocket for probably a week on that one battery. Like, it is nuts how much capacity is in there. And I'll be fine. Someone in chat says, but then again, you're charging lithium polymer with lithium polymer. There is that too. It's not like, you know, incredibly great. But at the same time, when you're on the go, you got to do what you got to do. But getting back on the point. I legit dread how much the S22 is going to cost. Because at this point, Samsung is pushing the boundary for how much money they can squeeze out of us for a high-end phone more than Apple. When you're out appling Apple when it comes to the price of a consumer good, you have a problem. And quite frankly, I'm willing to bet Samsung's not going to learn. Which is a shame because they're right now considered the gold standard for Android products. It's either Samsung or just straight up Google with the Google Pixel line. Then after that, it's going to be some random Chinese company like Xiaomi or something like that. High-end phones right now are in a very weird spot because they're getting really good cameras. They're getting halfway decent performance, but there's becoming a lot of trade-offs. I do wonder how long it's going to be until the budget phone makes a massive comeback in a massive way. Like someone in chat mentioned, what about Nokia? I do wish Nokia would make a massive push. 
because they have some really interesting budget phones. They really do. But of course, right now, the chip shortage is also a big factor. How many are going to be available? We haven't, we haven't heard a whole lot about the chip shortage affecting uh, the supply of cell phones. But again, it's only going to be a matter of time until it hits them as well. With that also being said, how about this for a headline? Sony is dealing with the PlayStation 5 shortage by making more PlayStation 4s. Brilliant. Look, it's just one less. It'll, it'll do, right? You just play those PS5. You just play those, uh, those PS5 exclusives at one less. All I can do is shake my head. It's just all I can do at this point. I will say it is absolutely fascinating to see the mentality of consumers when it comes to the chip shortage. It is incredible. We used to be so excited for a new console generation. When the PS4 and the Xbox One launched, we were excited to see what would happen now that we're switching off the, the cell processors and the power PC and actually going full on in with x86. And the results were incredible. We wanted to get our hands on it. We were excited. Oh, PS4 exclusives. Oh, hey, let's see how well that goes. Hey, we got Near Automata. Then all, uh, we got God of War. We got all these. Um, I'd say we got a whole bunch of exclusives on the Xbox, but let's be honest. There's, the Xbox has no exclusives. It was crazy. But now if there was an Xbox Series exclusive... You just couldn't wait for the PC version to come out so you could go ahead and dial down the graphics to be compatible with whatever junk GPU could get your hands on because GPUs are also a myth. Everyone who's speculating on Final Fantasy 16 right now, they are dreading for the, for the news to come out, which they already know is true. They are dreading to hear that Final Fantasy 16 is going to be a PS5 exclusive. We know it's going to be. You know it. I know it. It's going to be a PS5 exclusive for the first year. We already know it's going to be. We hated it when it already happened to 
when it already ha happened to uh, the Final Fantasy VII Remake. When the DLC content was a PS5 exclusive. Zona Chat says, wait, they haven't announced that it's going to be an exclusive? They haven't told us anything. This is actually something I'm actually really impressed with. With uh, For those who don't know, Final Fantasy 16 is directed by um, by Yoshi P, who is also the game director of Final Fantasy 14. Yoshi P is a guy that th there needs to be more game directors with his mentality. That he doesn't want to show off anything until it's ready. He runs a very tight ship. And whenever something is delayed, he wants to do everything in his power to not announce the delay. That it actually causes, I, I swear, it causes Yoshi P physical pain to announce a delay. And he'd rather not announce anything until it's ready to be announced. All we've gotten for Final Fantasy 16 was a trailer and an acknowledgement that it exists. And that's it. I think like the end of the trailer said for PS5, which heavily implies that's going to be a PS5 exclusive, but I don't think it's been officially announced that it's going to be a PS5 exclusive. We just assume that it is. Which, I mean, granted, you're 99% certain it's going to be a PS5 exclusive. But back to my point. We used to be excited for the exclusives. But because we can't get a hold of this sort of stuff, and we've just, we finally hit the point in the chip shortage of acceptance. It's taken us a while, but we're at the point of just accepting. I'm not going to get a new GPU for a while on my gaming PC, and I better make do with the GTX 1060 that's in there, or just upgrade the CPU and move my, 16 or my 1660 over to the gaming PC. But I'm not going to get a hold of a 30 series GPU. It's not going to happen. I've accepted that. Most of you out there, have either pulled off a little miracle to go ahead and get a 30 series GPU and probably paid more than you wanted to for it. Or just Accepted that you got to make do with what you got. Someone in chat said, look at the track history for FF15. I could do an entire podcast episode on the history of FF15. That being said, though. There's one thing about FF15 that I think is a good lesson. FF15 made one big mistake. And it was the same mistake that's made in World of Warcraft right now. 
And I hope that game developers notice this mistake and never do it again. And that is push forward a narrative-driven game and hide bits of lore in sources other than the game. And I don't mean like little extra this's and that's. Like FF14 has like whole books about uh, the history of ver- various ra- races within the game and like little interesting little facts about like say the cat people or the or the bunny pe- people or potatoes and that sort of thing. Like there's all kinds of little extra this and that. Like that's fine to have outside of the game. But like FF15 had like the whole world building aspect of the game locked behind both a wall of text at the very beginning in which you skipped through because you wanted to play the game you bought or a movie. And then hid more, even more parts of the lore behind DLC. World of Warcraft right now is hiding large chunks of they're really, really bad current lore behind books that aren't written yet. And I mean, World of Warcraft also has a whole lot of other problems that's leading to its massive downfall. But this kind of thing of hiding core components of the lore outside of the actual game it's why people hate FF13 and it's why people hate FF15. And grant a large, a decent chunk of FF14's early lore is locked behind a version of the game that no longer exists. But at the same time, they still went out of their way to fill in as much of that gap as they could and they do an exceptional job of it. FF15 just didn't. And then, of course, FF15 was supposed to be a different game entirely and then got morphed into a different game and then went through several different versions of developer purgatory and then launched as kind of a barely functional, okay, this kind of works, this kind of feels okay. And then just went back and tried to patch it and then kept trying to patch it and then just kept, just stopped caring. Like FF15 is just one giant mess. But you know what? At least FF15, it's at least an enjoyable trip. I can give it that much. I can think of a lot of other games I'd rather play than FF15. But at least the end result in the end was enjoyable. I don't know if I can say the same thing about WoW. What was I talking about again? All right. How the the PS4 does not equal the PS5. At the very least, you can get something. At least there's that. 
The other thing I will say, though, for those who are going to go ahead and say, why make more PS4s? Just go ahead and use those resources to make PS5s. The technology that goes into making the PS4 system on a chip is so different from the technology that goes into the PS5 system on a chip that completely different factories are making the two. They can still most likely, as long as materials such as the silicon and the plastic that goes into the molding of the chassis is uninterrupted they can make they can increase production of the ps5 or the ps4 and not impact the production rate of the ps5 at all so in the end it's it's fine i'd say it's fine oh by the way that apple uh, ar or vr headset uh, it, it looks like it might be delayed until 2023. I know. I'm disappointed too. It's going to push back plans for the eye mask. The $600 personal protection equipment. That is totally a real thing. And we didn't just make up earlier this podcast. Totally not. Anyway, another delay Tesla is rumored to have delayed the Cybertruck until 2023. You know what I find amazing about this delay? It's a rumored delay. It hasn't even been confirmed yet. You know what has been confirmed though? All the production dates of all Tesla vehicles that are not out yet are gone. They are completely and utterly gone. The Cybertruck's early 2022 release date, gone. The Tesla Semi, its release date, gone. The Tesla Roadster, gone. I'd say, yeah, it's partially because of the chip shortage. I'd also say it's also very, very much related to the fact that um, I am still under the... I I still believe that the way the the Cybertruck is designed right now would not be in compliance with U.S. standards at all. It's not just the fact the vehicle is fugly, and it is very fugly. It's not just the fact that the polygon count is below the necessary requirement for what is allowed in reality. It's because the vehicle has no crumple zones. 
Look at this tough, indestructible vehicle. These plates don't bend ever. Dude. U.S. vehicles are required to crumple in case of impact so that the shock has no chance of affecting the passengers to increase survival rate in case of a deadly crash. You would know this, Tesla, because you keep bragging about how high of a safety rating your current vehicles get. No, let's instead keep talking about how indestructible the Cybertruck is and ignore, you know, legal safety safety requirements. Why is the semi-truck delayed? Could they not develop the nuclear blast proof? (laughs) What what was it called again? The nuclear blast proof windshield that was on the Tesla semi-truck? You want to know the real reason why the Tesla semi-truck is delayed? There's two reasons. One, they can't get the range. Well, actually, there's a number of reasons. One, they can't get the range that they promised. Two, they don't have the infrastructure to power it. Have you seen a Tesla supercharging station? There ain't no 53 foot long parking spaces at a Tesla supercharging station. Heck, there's barely a bathroom or a shower or like anything at these supercharging stations. They just exist and then you're expected to just walk over to wherever the heck you want to go. I don't know about you, but after driving my, well, actually, granted, you won't be nearly as tired driving a Tesla semi-truck because, of course, you can only drive for a grand total of, what, three hours and then you have to charge the battery? This sounds great. That's That's how I like filling up my 11 hours of required driving time. Three hours at a time. And then have to wait probably an hour or two. But you know the biggest reason? The biggest reason that the Tesla semi-truck is delayed? There's no sleeper. There's still no sleeper in the Tesla semi-truck. I'm 11 hours from home. Halfway to my next destination. Where am I? Where are you going to go? Where are you going to store your stuff? Where am I going to store my clothes? Anything. There's still no update on that. Our trucker butt in the chat is now doing the math on uh, just how long he'd have to stay awake 
to do to do what he normally does. <laughs> On a nor oh god, no, he actually just brought up a a, a very uh, a very. I don't know if he did it intentionally or not, but the thing is that you're limited on how long you can drive on a semi-truck by, I'm, I'm now actually doubting myself, but I'm pretty sure it's 11 hours a day, but you only have a maximum of 14 hours of on-duty time. That charge time is going to cut into your, to your 14-hour rule. Which means you're gonna lose out on drive time, which is very no bueno in the trucking trucking world. Why is it every time I talk about the Tesla Semi, it just gets worse? Someone else in chat says, just swap trucks like the Pony Express. Yeah, okay. I guess in the case of a Tesla truck, you totally could. Because, of course, there's no sleeper. So it's not like you're moved into the sleeper berth of the truck at all. There's no clothes. You just got your duffel bag, I guess, of wrinkled clothing. Someone else in chat brought, brought up the, uh, it wasn't the whole point of the Tesla semi-truck to be for local trucking. Now, here's the funny thing as far as that claim. You know what's funny? We already have dates for other all-electric, what's considered regional hauling. And unlike Tesla, they have dates. Freightliner has a all-electric regional semi-truck coming out soon, which, of course, un unsurprisingly is being called the Cascadia Electric. Volvo's having one come out. Kenworth is having one come out. And guess what? Because they're a real truck, they have a sleeper. Whoa. And unlike Tesla, they're actually talking with truck stops to actually build an electric charging infrastructure. Whoa. It is surprisingly, it is surprising how at this point, Tesla who started this whole thing is falling behind. But then, of course, our trucker buddy brought up the other point in all this. I'm talking soon with, like, massive quotation marks around it. Right now, there's a massive shortage of trucks. And I actually talked about this when our, uh, when our medium-duty truck at work uh, had its engine die. That I was just looking to see what's a good used truck going for. Good used trucks right now are going for more than brand new trucks. And not by a small margin. 
a brand new Freightliner M.2, or not an M.2, a brand new, brand new Freightliner M2 goes for about 50,000. Used ones were selling for 80 grand. 30,000. And you know what the worst part is? They sold. They actually did sell and were gone. An entire fleet of them. Why? Because they re- they're real. The chip shortage has such a massive shortage on commercial vehicles that used ones are going for more than new. I don't know how it is in the, cl- in the Class 8 territory, your big semi-trucks. I can tell you in the medium-duty field where fewer trucks are built, there is a massive shortage. I imagine the shortage is just as bad in the Class 8, the semi-truck, the over-the-road trucking field, but it's probably not as bad, but it's still bad. It's nuts. It is absolutely insane what the chip shortage is doing. But it's okay, because NVIDIA thinks it's going to end in 2022. NVIDIA believes that the GPU shortage should end in 2022 because they got their supplies in order. They believe that this time, for realsies, they can meet demand. Yep, that's that's the only problem. It's the supply issue with GPUs. There definitely isn't any kind of any kind of insatiable demand for GPUs at all. That's also being, you know, powered by the absolute insane craze of attaching serial numbers to a link of an image and saying you now own that image. Yeah. Now, in their defense, NVIDIA says that the push to change over supply lines with new foundries opening up and focusing most of their production to lower end GPUs like the RTX 3050, is why they think the GPU shortage should end in 2022. And of course, the other the other leap in logic is that, oh, crypto miners don't care about low-end GPUs. I want you to remember this line of thinking. I want you to remember it. Because I can guarantee you that this kind of thinking will come back to haunt them come fall of 2022. We're going to take a break here. When we come back, more word of 
NVIDIA's stupidity, as well as the absolute insanity that is... Actually, you know what? I'm going to get the NVIDIA news right out of the way so we can just dive in the NFT news right square away. All right? While NVIDIA is talking about shifting to lower-end GPUs, they revealed a new RTX 3080 GPU with 12 gigabytes of RAM. I I just want to know what kind of drugs is Nvidia on? And what side effects are there? Because whatever they are, there there is some strong stuff to have you be this oblivious to the way of the world. They're on something. It's either that or maybe blind faith that NVIDIA has that everything is fine is the same blind faith that powers the entire NFT community, which after this break, we will get straight into. Welcome back, Eagle Eyes on Tech. I'm Eagle Falcon. So, you want to know just how absolutely bat squeak insane the crypto community is now? From Jack Dorsey, former CEO of Twitter, who now we clearly know was stepped down from Twitter because he's he's too bat squeak insane to run Twitter anymore. He is opening up a new form of Bitcoin mining called Block and it is, quote, officially building an open Bitcoin mining system. It is going to be an open source Bitcoin mining system, which, by the way, all current forms of mining are, for the most part, open source and will be focused on being decentralized, which Bitcoin mining already is decentralized what is the logic here i don't understand the official tweet actually just says we are building an open bitcoin mining system that's literally it i I basically the whole point is that i i really don't know but this is the kind of crazy we're dealing with in all of this And while that's all going on, this gets even more crazy as we switch over to the NFT world where we have Troy Baker, the voice actor, partnering with Voice vs. NFT to, to quote, explore ways where together we might bring cool tools to new creators to make new things and allow everyone a chance to own and invest 
in the IPs they create. What? We all have a story to tell. You can hate or you can create. What will it be? Well. Personally, if it were me, as someone with a, I personally think, a fantastic voice with wide range, who stumbles over his words very frequently, thus is one of the main reasons why I don't go into voice acting, as well as I'm not confident in my voice, but I digress. As someone who actually has some voice talent, uh, I personally would not partner up with a company like Voice NFT that has, you know, been caught stealing. Steals a lot of voice assets and then sells them as NFTs. But to make things even weirder, other people like Chuck Herber have told people that welcome to the real weird world of NFT hate. I want to be as clear as possible. All right. You want to know why NFTs get so much hate? It's very simple. It's because the supporters of NFTs, every single time they talk about their NFT project, they intentionally be as vague as possible. And they end up sounding like a snake oil salesman. Every single time I read about one of these NFT projects, it trips every red flag in my brain that has kept me from being scammed by Nigerian scammers and Indian scammers for years. Because the internet has been such a tool for committing fraud of many different kinds, many users of the internet have become very, very aware to look for signs of fraud and scams. I went out of my way through multiple different outlets to try and get supporters of NFTs to please explain why NFTs are so good. What is the benefit of NFTs? All I get is that it's good because it's decentralized. But because it's decentralized, 
the entire database that supports NFTs is insanely inefficient, consuming almost 10 times as much power as having a centralized database. Because it's also decentralized, tons upon tons of NFT outlets just straight up steal pieces of art or completely violate copyright to go ahead and create the NFT to then sell. And then, of course, the original creator gets nothing because it's ripped off. The actual content creators that go on board basically are then told the same sort of snake oils pitch like Troy Baker here is and has just promised a good payday. We have a tweet here from someone else that someone just gave me that showed that the NFT vocal synthesis files were in fact just straight up ripped off the work of another voice actress. Specifically one that goes by the name of 15. I want to be clear. All NFTs are is a serial number and a link to what that serial number is associated to. It is basically a certificate of authenticity that says you own a thing somewhere over there. I ha- I, it, it's much like, say, the certificate to my work truck. I have the certificate. It says I own it. And the truck is over there. The difference is that in an NFT, that's all it is. In the case of my truck, there is a license plate on my truck. And there is a centralized database backed up by the U.S. government that also says, I own that truck. If I don't have that centralized database or that license plate and that truck goes missing, what do I have? A useless piece of paper. And that's the problem with NFTs. Someone else also used an example that uh, someone in the chat used as well. You remember way, way, way back in the late 90s? 
those late night infomercials saying that you could buy a certificate that says you now own a star in the sky and have it named after you. That's what NFTs are. You own that thing way, 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 way out in the sky. You can't do anything with it, but you own it because this piece of paper says you do. It's all a scam. That company's gone now. And you're left with a piece of paper that says you own nothing. There's no legal backing behind an NFT at all. The entire NFT place operates in the shadows. The only thing giving NFTs its insane value is what other crazy NFT people are willing to pay you or some sucker who doesn't know any better. That's it. And even better is that all the people who go out there and take a screenshot or a copy paste of the file that the NFT is supposedly for. Those screenshots and those right click save as in the end have way more practical value than the NFT. Cause again, all the NFT is is a serial number and a link. So to go ahead and just say, hey, you can either hate or you can create. By investing in something like voice versus NFT, the only thing you're creating is a lie. A delusion. The reason there is so much hate against NFTs is because it smells like a scam. And a lot of cases, it is a scam. It is viewed more and more as just blatant greed and a way to exploit a misinformed public that is the NFT bros. But the thing is, is that those same NFT bros refuse to see the point. Because of course, it's worth so much money. I paid $2,000 for this terrible picture of a monkey. I didn't make a bad purchase, did I? No, I couldn't be. You do everything in your power to tell you you made the right choice. You didn't get scammed because nobody wants to get scammed. Nobody wants to admit that they were an idiot. And this is why NFTs have been going on for so long. Because no one wants to admit this is bad.
Those are the groups you have. You have the misinformed entity bros that are in denial about the state they're in and will continue to just shovel out more and more money as they want to keep believing their own BS and wanting to still just be in denial about it all. You have the exploiters like Voice vs. NFT that will do whatever they can for money. And then you have the people like Troy Baker who just want to go ahead and get a payday don't fully understand what they're getting involved with. We'll go ahead and just shill out whatever they're told to because it pays for their paycheck for that week. Zone in chat says you could hypothetically get rid of NFTs. You could make an NFT based around unconsensual nudes and watch NFTs get banned quicker than you can say but it's decentralized. Hmm. I'm not sure how to respond to that. I would say don't do that. The person in chat also saying, please don't do this. That's terrible. I actually don't know. Because the unfortunate unfortunate thing is that. The wheels of justice move slowly. Government in general moves very slowly. Sometimes it just doesn't even move at all. What will be interesting, and this is going to be a far bigger blow to NFTs and crypto than any other scheme like trying to go ahead and put NFTs of illegal activities on the blockchain. is the fact that you have large sums of money exchanging hands and basically being used for illegal activities like money laundering and also being used as, whether they realize it or not, as tax evasion. Whether the crypto bros like it or not, Cryptocurrency is very much being used for for dodging taxes and money laundering. And it's going to be very, very interesting to see how how the... how cryptocurrency survives once bought once you know governments start getting involved in in cryptocurrency getting involved in managing that taxation 
That will be absolutely fascinating. I do have a good story about NFTs, though. You want to know what good story I have? Sega has openly come out and said they will not proceed with their NFT plans, quote, if it is perceived as simple money making. Good. There you go. There is a sign. They might have actually seen the light. One of the skeptics in the chat says, if it is perceived by who? That is the thing. Would it matter if it's perceived by their shareholders or would it matter if it's perceived by the public? The public's going to view it as a massive money grab no matter what. Because that's what it is. But here's what I'll say. It is a sign. I am very hopeful that they're going ahead and starting to make steps in the correct direction. I'm looking at how much time I've got right now and how much time is left in the episode. Because we're currently about 15 minutes over. So what we're going to do, we're going to take our last break here when we come back. I have some Final Fantasy XIV news to share. As well as some very, very weird stories to share. Welcome back, Eagle Eyes on Tech. I'm Eagle Falcon. During the break, I actually got an article from IGN that actually goes into, actually has an update to the Troy Baker uh, story. It actually goes into a lot of detail. I do not have enough time in this podcast to go into greater detail, but I will go into it in exceptional detail and go word for word with the response and the IGN article in the extra subscriber episode of Eagle Eyes on Tech. What I will do, though, is I will give you his response he put out on Twitter, which is also part of the article. This is directly from the tweet. I always wanted to be a part of the conversation, even if sometimes that finds me in the midst of a loud one. Appreciate y'all sharing your thoughts and give me a lot to think about. I'm just a storyteller out here trying to tell my story to whomever will hear and hoping that I can help others do the same. Sorry for stuttering there a little bit. I'm trying to make sure I have this in the exact right order because, of course, a Twitter conversation um, can get jumbled up when it's just screenshots in in an article. 
sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I'm grateful there are those who are passionate about their stance and not only feel safe to express that, but have but also have the means to do so. The hate create part might have been a bit antagonistic. Let me interject. No! It's that exact same kind of language that's used by a lot of the NFT bros who basically plug their fingers in their ears and refuse to listen to any kind of logical argument you provide that really just kind of rubbed a lot of people, including myself, the wrong way. You can either hate or create. But again, the organization you're working with has committed fraud. The tweet thread continues. Hope you all will forgive me for that. Bad attempt to bring levity. Anyway, feel... Wow, man, I am really stuttering at the tail end of this podcast. Anyway, feel free to resume the conversation or, or not as you please. I appreciate those with truth showing it, those with, those with support offering it, and those with anger doing their best to express it. That, that concludes the tweet thread posted in this IGN article. As I said earlier, I did suspect that Troy Baker was just someone brought on, given an offer from Voice NFT, just kind of partner up and be part of something bigger that as it was pitched to him. I did not believe Troy Baker was a true believer in all of this, nor, and especially this response to it, kind of solidifies what I felt was correct. That being said, I still stand by what I say. Deep down at the base level, an NFT is just a certificate. And it only holds as much value as someone is willing to give it. The problem is in the NFT world, a lot of fraud is being done. A lot of people are going out of their way to try and pump up the value of their certificate. And a lot of denial is going on within the, in the community. And it's just a bubble being pumped up more and more and more until eventually it pops. And what I'd rather do is let people know this is what you're getting into. This is why there's a bunch of hate towards this because it smells like a scam. In a lot of ways, it is a scam. But then again, there's a lot of things in life that also feel kind of scammy. The jewelry industry, for one. It's a rock. It shines. And it's worth... I actually have no idea how much the value of diamonds are right now. So maybe that was a bad analogy. But you get my point. 
I don't like NFTs. I don't. Because the only reason it continues to go is because everyone just wants to believe what they want to believe rather than face the truth. And one of the other main reasons why a lot of people feel a lot of hate towards NFTs is because more and more and more companies just want to shove it down our throats to go ahead and embrace this technology that by its very nature is inefficient and also doesn't really provide a whole lot of real value to anything. Because I remind you, an NFT isn't magical. An NFT game skin isn't going to magically allow itself to be in another game that uses a radically different engine on a radically different platform. That's not what NFTs do. An NFT, no matter what anyone tells you, is a serial number and a link. That is it. Remember, if the source of the link goes down or goes out of business or vanishes from the face of the earth, you have a serial number and a 404 not found error code. all I want to do is inform much to our surprise over in more positive news Final Fantasy 14 put out an update in regards to the dreaded congestion now I cannot speak for other regions unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, I have two characters on Final Fantasy XIV. And for various circumstances, they're now both on the Crystal Data Center. I did not plan it that way, but that's just where they both are now. And my main is over there because that's where the FC is, and that's where all the potential for community projects are. And my alt character now has a house on the Crystal Data Center, so I have negative motivation to move either character. But for those who are unaware, Final Fantasy XIV right now has a, had an explosion in growth, especially after Endwalker, their latest expansion pack, launched. And... People were facing massive queue times. Like for my own alt, if I wanted to go on and just chill and hang out with a few people or decorate the house after work, I had to leave my computer on at home, remote into the computer two hours before I get off work and sign into the queue and hope it doesn't disconnect between then and when I got off work and got home. 
right now on both Goblin and Balmung, where both of my characters are, the queue times are negligible. It is basically non-existent. They're to the point of basically being like a minute tops. That may not be the case in uh, other data centers. I hear the European data centers are still really bad. I've heard Aether still has a decent queue time. I have heard nothing about the JP servers. But as far as I see, the the massive surge in players has died down. And the game is almost completely back to normal. But... Final Fantasy XIV has said that they want to go ahead and get more servers, which is very difficult during this chip shortage. And they now have an update. Someone in chat says Aether has gone from three-hour queues down to 20 minutes. 20 minutes is still bad. I would say outside of like five minutes, once you're higher than five minutes, I consider that bad queue times. But it's still not like horrendous like it used to be. Like three hours is just like, oh, I guess I'm not playing today. 20 minutes is, oh, I guess I'll go shower and make dinner. But that, of course, is just my personal feelings. So, here's the updates. First and foremost, the Oceanic Data Center. Right now, and this is actually very important we get to this, there are three data centers. But I thought there was a crystal and an aether and primal and light. That's already more than three. What are you talking about? This is confusing. But there are only three data centers, three physical data centers. And this is an important detail. There is one in North America, there is one in Europe, and there's one in Japan. They will now be opening a fourth, just referred to as the Oceanic Data Center. And this new data center will start with five new worlds. Those worlds will be referred as... Do, do we have, I actually could have swore we had the names of these, of these worlds. I guess we do not. I could have swore they were posted somewhere. They're just not in this particular post from Yoshi P. If anyone wanted to go ahead and move to the Oceanic Data Center, the transfer fee will be waived as well as new bonuses. This includes like an EXP bonus, guild compensation if you're leaving a world where you had a house. You are never going to get my alt to move. It was way too much work to get that house. There is no... 
You want a real challenge? Go try to get a house in FF14. I'll save you the time, you won't, but man, you'll be in for a challenge. Let me tell you. You might even go mad. Pandemonium Savage has got nothing on Housing Savage. But in any case. Guild compensation, level bonuses, free transfer fees for those wanting to move to the Oceanic Data Center. This is mainly for those in, like, say, New Zealand, Australia, and in that kind of region there. Because before they were kind of lumped in with North America... And they were dealing with some massive ping issues as a result. So, hey, to which I'd say good for them. And the fact they were able to get five new worlds to open up in this new data center, also great news. The Homeworld Transfer Service is resuming on January 26th. This means if you had a character that was, say on one server, but you wanted to go ahead and hang out with a new community that really wants you to join them over in say, we'll say the eight, the Aether data center on a server, like say, I'd say Gilgamesh, but I'm pretty sure you can't transfer there. Cause it's too full. That service will be resuming. That was put on hold during the massive surge in players. They'll be resuming January 26th. And it is opening up to all players in all data centers. That, of course, is a paid system, by the way. We also got an update on data center traveling system. Now, remember how I said earlier there are only three physical data centers? This is where it plays in. This update will be coming to us in patch 6.1x. And they put the X just to say, like, it may not be ready for one for 6.10. It might be coming in like a 6.12 or a 6.15 or something like that. They're giving themselves breathing room. Because like I said, Yoshi P does not like announcing delays. If he's going to set a date, it's going to be that date, period. If they're not sure, they're just going to say, you know, we're aiming for about here, but we'll play it by ear. It's a very honest approach, and my god, I love it. Players will be able to visit worlds and other logical data centers within the same physical data center. So all people in North America will be able to visit other North American data centers. So say my alt, my characters in Crystal Data Center will be able to go ahead and visit characters in Aether. You will not be able to, vi to visit other physical data centers. So let's say I want to go ahead and, and check out my, my bud Seven Sins over in the European Data Center. My character will not be able to make that hop as of yet they said this this technology is technically possible but they're considering a number of factors including in-game economies as well as well in-game economical 
effects. This is referring to like, say the in-game auction house, the market boards and whatnot. All that sort of stuff is being put into consideration. Because what happens if I go ahead and take all my stuff that's super cheap, or rather go over to Europe where some stuff is super cheap, come over to a more role-playing heavy data data center where my where my characters currently are positioned and then just sell a whole bunch of bunch of stuff that's focused on decorating there that sort of stuff's being brought into into consideration this travel will not be be able to done once you're logged into the game but from the character selection screen so if you want to go ahead and travel from say Balmung to Goblin, you can do that right now, just while you're in the game. But if I wanted to go from, say, Goblin to Gilgamesh, which is an Aether server, I would have to log out, select it from the login screen, and then log in and then have to be requeued. So you cannot use it to bypass a queue. It's probably also a limitation based on the infamous FF14 spaghetti code. We're running very short. We're running out of time very quickly, but uh, let's quickly go after a few other things. Um, the Japanese data centers, they are moving from three data centers to four logical data centers, but the number of worlds is remaining unchanged. North American da- data centers, new four new worlds are being added to each data center. Or new, yeah, new four new worlds being added to each da- data center. Basically, massive expansions are being planned for the middle of this year, and then a second phase again later on in 2023. And here's the big thing. Digital sales are coming back. Final Fantasy XIV, it's been memed about you couldn't join in. New players can join back in starting January 25th. So if you've been hearing all the hype, you've been watching streamers like myself play FF14 and doing a whole bunch of crazy stuff, but haven't been able to get in and enjoy the story, that will be resuming January 25th. Finally, we can go back to the meme of, have you heard of the critically acclaimed MMORPG Final Fantasy XIV, yada, yada, yada? Free trials are also initiating at that time. So there you go. And unfortunately, I have like 30 seconds. So, uh, last burb, pig heart transplanted into human. No context. Folks, that's going to do it for this episode of Eagle Eyes on Tech. Thank you so much for listening. I know you want more details on it, but unfortunately, we're out of time. I will be saving all the stories that we didn't get a chance to get to for the subscriber episode of Eagle Eyes on Tech. $1 a month. And everything we couldn't get to is all right there as well as behind the scenes and all that jazz anchor.fm slash eagle eyes on tech you can also find our daily podcast the early burb briefing at anchor.fm slash early burb briefing free podcast daily daily episodes all bright and early we can listen whenever you feel like waking up and i'll check out my twitch page twitch.tv slash eagle falcon take care and hopefully you have a great day
Oh no, there's no time to explain. There's no time for extra funny bits. Quick end the episode. Ah!